Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Set in the heart of 1942 Warsaw, where Jews and refugees from across Poland were imprisoned in a ghetto and cut off from the rest of the world by a towering wall. Love Gets a Room follows Stefcia and her Jewish theater actors as they fight to keep their passion for performing alive. As life in the Nazi-occupied ghetto became a fierce fight against cold, hunger, and epidemics, the actors, against all odds, embark on a daring mission to stage a play, risking their lives to create something beautiful in a world of chaos. What a wonderful film this is. It was written and directed by this wonderful filmmaker who we're honored to have with us today, Rodrigo Cortez. Rodrigo, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for inviting me. I I really appreciate your work. It's an honor to have you here. I love this film. There's so much to talk about. So I'll get right into the how you came to this material and what inspired you to do this. Well, actually, who found out that this play, which is the heart of the film, existed, is the writer of the first draft, David Safir, the German novelist. He, he was doing some research for one of his novels, and he found out that in the heart of the ghetto in 1942, there was a pretty rich cultural life, simply because people tried to do what they did before, probably to remember that they were still human beings, which means that musicians kept on playing on cafes, and there was a symphonic orchestra, and also plays. And, and, and this original play, Love Gets a Room, probably the more literal translation would be something like Love Looks for an Apartment, really existed. And in this play, the people of the ghetto laughed at their own conditions, including death and corruption and illness and hunger and everything, with songs and dances and, and big laughs. They laughed at everything except Germans. They, they were not allowed to do that. When I read this first draft, I, I did my own research. I read many things written inside the ghetto from 1939 and 1943, I believe, because I didn't want to read anything that was written afterwards or out of the ghetto, because history tends to become literature in a way. But when you feel things the way they were lived in their own days, everything is confusion and and things are not clear at all. And you find out that people want to live for another half an hour and that's their goal. So I felt that there was something really fascinating there. And and, and it made me feel on two great, great uh, film masters. One of them was Orson Welles. I thought that this were, this would be a movie he would have loved to do because, well, it, it requires some use of cinematic tools he was a master of, and also because he loved theater. He knew this world so well. And I also, for some reason, thought on Billy Wilder, because as you perfectly know, he was a pessimist. He was probably a cynic, but also a romantic. So he was funny and hard and harsh at the same time, but he believed in love probably and probably only in love like he didn't trust mankind 
but he still trusted love. So the combination of all these elements made me decide to go on with this. One of the things about Love Gets a Room is it provides, as you were just describing, it provides this historic context for the the Warsaw Ghetto, the travails. And you mentioned some of the things that were ever present in their lives. I don't know if you said this, maybe I didn't hear it, but there was also death in the air all the time. And it's something. it says something about the resiliency of human beings and of Jewish culture, which is obviously a very, very important part of the story of resiliency, finding, finding a way forward despite overwhelming odds. And that is another thing that comes across in the film is the human resilient, resiliency. You talked about love, but it's this, and you see it all throughout the film. Is that a fair assessment of what? Yeah, in, in a way, it's a movie about improbability mm. uh, because it's a movie about a small trembling light weakly shining in the middle of a huge darkness ocean. No matter how unlikely this is, and and, and in a way, this is the heart of theater in himself. I, I, I don't feel entitled to teach any lesson, but I know how, as you do, as we all do, I know how human beings are. I know we are contradictive. We know we are ambivalent. And also I know about theater. And if you think of theater, maybe your father dies tonight, but you still do the play. Maybe the light goes out, the lights go out, and you light a few candles, but you still do the play. Or maybe you have a fever and you go to bed in a couple of hours, but you still do the play. And this is what this people are doing because they are actors above all they are actors no matter how hard and inconvenient circumstances around them are even if they are the most unlikely unlikely ones they want to do the play and this is beautiful and this is terrible and this is generous and this is incredibly selfish and everything at the same time because they want an applause above all even if they are in the heart of the ghetto and, and no matter how many problems people have, I mean, the audience, they want to laugh for an hour and a half, which is beautiful and terrible at the same time. And I think that all this mixture of contradictive human emotions are always a perfect battlefield for the filmmaker. Heart and soul of the film is Stepcha, played by Clara Rugard, yeah. who um, I had seen. I hadn't seen all of I Am Mother, but I have. I need to go back and watch the entire film. But boy, does she come across as, uh, I think, all the things that that character needed to embody, uh, this sense of resiliency, this agency over her own future. She was going to determine how she was going to live her life despite the odds. Just a personality to burn in terms of just inviting you in to be a part of that character. You have other great performances as well, but we'll get. Let's talk about Clara. Clara is is, is unbelievable for for many reasons. As she only needed to be a great great actress, as she definitely is, but to sing beautifully and to dance beautifully, and not not only to sing beautifully, but to do such again and again and again, because all the sound you hear in the movie, all the songs, are happening live. We never used uh, playback. She's singing every time in every take, and and the sound you hear for every take comes from that specific take. So she could bring the specific emotion, and, and even the physical effort 
of that moment. It doesn't come out from some performing on studio, for instance. She's Danish from origin. And, and actually she was, she played Annie in Copenhagen when she was six. She's a great, great and, and very well-formed singing actress. And, and also I, I felt that she had this classical nature. There, there's something classical even on her face to it. And, and I felt that this movie would need that because even though in formal terms, it's very rash and, and contemporary, the hat is very classic. And, and I always felt that if this film was made in the 50s, probably someone like Ingrid Berman would have done it. So I, I felt she was the perfect choice. And she went beyond that. I think that she trespassed the limits she thought she had. There is a love triangle as well with Ferdia uh, Walsh below. And uh, Mark Ryder, who plays Patrick, uh, Ferdia plays Edmund, the love of her life. There is there is that part of the film, their relationship, their the love that they all have, um, and uh, but and then and of everybody in the cast. I, I feel uh, remiss to leave out anyone in our conversation because everyone is yeah. so good in it. But I, I want to return back to kind of. The story, the challenges of the story. There's, there's an almost Sophie's Choice element in all of this that we that needs yeah. to be made. And I was trying to think of a film that had this, the elements that your film has. And the closest I could come up with, and it's kind of relevant, is Cabaret had a, a little bit. There's a little bit of Cabaret in the film. I think so. This is one of the movies I, I asked the actors to to watch. Oh, there were a bunch of them for different reasons. Uh, for for instance, A Foreign Affair by Billy Wilder or, or, or Billy Wilder's 1232 for very different reasons in terms of rhythm, for instance. But one, uh, or, or, or Banya in, in the 42 Street, I don't know if this is the original name. I'm sorry for that. Or Cradle Will Rock. And, and, and one of them was Cabaret. I had to tell exactly why. When I, when I tell the actors to, to, to watch a film, is it's never for literal yeah. reasons yeah. or for something very specific, but for something that resounds. And sometimes when you watch six or seven of these, which are totally different, you get something, some vibe of what I'm trying to to get. I, I also told them to see Black Swan, for instance, and it's oh. very, very different. Yeah. But in terms of camera, I wanted them to know that I intended to capture the physicality of, of their effort, even, even of their effort on stage. So yeah, Cabaret, Cabaret is a good reference. Oh, good. I was worried. <laughs> I, was thinking about it. <laughs> I, I want to just remind our listeners that we're speaking with the director of this wonderful new film called Love Gets a Room. That would be Rodrigo Cortez. Uh, we'll know him from such work as Buried, Red Lights, Down a Dark Hall, and others. So the other thing I want to get into is as I mentioned to you, I love a good story. I love to watch a good story, but I'm also so impressed with the storytelling, the way you went about telling this story. And it would be easy to fixate on sort of the tracking shot that we see th throughout the film. That it works extremely well, but it's not, it's not, and I hate, I'm not, I'm sound like I'm knocking another film and I'm not. It's not 1917. 
but it it's so, so seamless and and also in the way that it it's such an emotionally driven motivation for what you do with the camera in this and so let's take this opportunity to talk about what you did accomplish with that but also working with your cinematographer on this i i always felt and this is something i learned from scorsese probably the person why i make movies that the what is the how and the how is the what See, there, there's no difference so it, it's not about how you do things but why you do yes. them that way what are you trying the audience to feel and in, in order to take them there you need to use these tools or those ones in a different way so for some intuitive reason i felt from the very first moment that i would need this film to start with this long take for different reasons one of them would be that I wanted the film to be not only uh, a film to be seen, but a film to be experienced. Yes. So I wanted it to be sensorial and physical, which is something you get or, or you may get when you don't cut, when you don't domesticate the experience. Also, because as you well know, this movie happens inside a theater, most of it. But this theater is not anywhere. It's in the heart of the Warsaw ghetto. So I, I, I didn't want the audience to know that. I wanted them to feel that, to feel that. And, and in order to do such, I felt I, I, I needed them to live, let's say, one day in the ghetto. So when, 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 you, when we cross the ghetto in this 12-minute uh, long take, we see how it is, how dangerous, how cold. Uh, we see these markets. We cross a checkpoint. We escape from a uh, hunting. We run through the ruins. We we get into this theater. We see all the guts of the theater. We know the characters that are going to be the protagonists of our story one by one. We see the corridors. We see the dressing room. We finally get out of stage. We lift the curtain. And that's when we see the title. Love gets a room. A way of saying, and now our story begins the other thing about that that tracking shot and just as you described it when she walks into the theater she's immediately greeted with where have you been right it, it, it jars us out of the the harrowing circumstances that brought her there but now you're inside you're this cocoon with us now exactly right? yes exactly she she just escaped from there <laughs> and the first question she hears is you're late you're late. Why are you? Why are you late? <laughs> she needs to answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> there yeah. was a haunting <laughs> because this happens every day there because yeah. they are actors above yeah. all. And I and I thought things would be way more powerful and real if I focused on the fact that that they were actors than focusing on the fact that they are protagonists of history. Uh, I, I needed to focus on story more than in history. Precisely for the reasons I told you about before, because I don't feel entitled to give any, to teach any lesson nobody asked me for. Over the course of the film, there are some long scenes, longer scenes. And I mean, it's certainly, I'm not going to give anything away, but as the film reaches near conclusion, <laughs> there is, there's so much drama. There's so much pathos. There's so much going on. And you're throwing a lot of information at the audience at the same time, but it's all in service to this kind of emotional 
tide that's moving into these people's lives. It's just beautifully done. It just it all works so well together. So I, I really appreciate it because I, I never intended to be melodramatic because it's it, it would have been so easy and tempting. But you have to trust your characters and remember that they do things for many reasons and that ma many things are true at the same time. So you you don't need to you don't need to play trick. Trust their ambivalence because the audience will feel related to them. And actually, when the film ends, this is something I lived many times when I saw this movie all around the world. People don't know what to say. They stayed. They stay silent in on their seats and only when the end credits end they leave and they are not exactly sure about how they should feel they they feel something beautiful but they don't know if it's good or bad they don't know if it's sad if it's terrible if it's happy if it's promising if there's hope on it and everything happens at the same time at the same time so they need to do the digestion yeah. and i I, I really love that as an audience member. So probably that's why I try to capture that feeling. I, I love when I get to my home and the movie still goes on. It didn't end. It's still in my head, even in those occasions in which I don't exactly know if I liked or not what I just saw, but it survives in my brain. And that, my friend, is why we love cinema. That's why we love storytelling. That's why... That's what makes us human. All of those things that you just mentioned are are the reason. Um, well, I want to thank you so much. But before I let you go, I just want to mention Anastasia Hill, Magnus Krepper, and Henry Goodman. Those are the other people in the cast. I didn't want to leave them out of the conversation, but they're all superbly performed. They yeah, they are. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Rodrigo Cortez, for your time. Thank you so much for Love Gets a Room which I want to let our audience know that it will be opening here in Los Angeles at the Lemley Royal as well as the Lemley Town Center here on Friday, June 23rd. It'll also be available on VOD on June 30th, so be looking for it. And uh, you have already a storied uh, filmography, and I look forward to more wonderful additions to that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 